So, you've just been to a car dealership and you were just going there to browse. Half an hour later, an hour later, whatever, you find yourself standing on the footpath outside going, get the number of that bus because you've put your signature on a contract and you've paid a deposit and hours later you might be sitting in front of the TV going, Jesus, I think this might be the wrong car. What have I done? How do I get this deposit back? Is there a penalty to be paid and things of this nature? If you want to back out of it, here's how. I'm John Cadogan from AutoExpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap <laughs> for buyers here in Australia. Website for that, obviously. Or you can just click the card that's possibly up there now. Okay, so today's Q&A session is inspired by a dudette named Robin, who says, Unbeknown to me, my daughter signed a contract for the purchase of a new vehicle, a Suzuki Vitara Turbo, and has paid $250 deposit with a further 750 smackers to be paid if the contract is rescinded, meaning if the daughter backs out. Suzuki has approved finance at 3.99% fixed rate for seven years. The cost of the car, including window tinting, 12 months rego, floor mats and extended warranty, $36,340. Given that a contract has been signed, I'm assuming that it would be too late to use your service now. Thanks very much for the question, Robin, and I assure you, your daughter is not alone. Many people find themselves in this kind of position, and I'm not even suggesting that this is a bad deal for her, the wrong car for her, or the wrong price. I'm just suggesting that you've got to understand the commercial dynamics of the typical car showroom, because there's a fundamental misalignment between customer and sales dude, right? Different objectives for starters. You might go in, you just want to browse, whatever. Sales dude doesn't want to facilitate browsing generally. And I'm talking worst case scenario here because obviously not every sales dude is Satan in a suit, Hannibal Lecter trying to sell you a car or something. But the incentives in these places are often tilted towards that kind of behavior. And in any case, you don't know what kind of shark tank you've just dived into. So good policy assume the worst, okay? And the worst is that there's heavy incentivization of sales dude to sell a car. Doesn't matter if it's right for you or wrong for you, it just matters that he needs to sell you a car because he doesn't get paid unless he does that, okay? So that's for starters. And you're just going there to browse. You don't know if you want a Suzuki or a Hyundai or a Toyota or whatever, right? You just want the right car. And it's not his job to figure that out for you, it's your job to figure that out, it's his job to sell you the car. And obviously, the dynamics of this are not made clear in many situations. So, he wants a signature and a deposit. You want the right car. They're different things. This can be an ambush, okay? Just like a military ambush with an X, right? And a sniper and two snipers, intersecting fields of fire. You go and you stand on the X and the next thing you know, you wake up in heaven with two bullet holes in your head. That's bad. Okay, so what do you do? The first thing you've got to do is be clear about your objectives when you go into these places. If you're just going there to browse and you want to check out three competing cars, you've got to have it in the front of your mind. 
not to be coerced into signing and paying a deposit, right? Just don't do that. And it's got to be like a golden rule. Leave your credit card behind, leave your phone in the car, and you've got to realise that the sales dude, worst case scenario, will feel completely entitled to deploy any amount of bullshit that gets him what he wants, which is your signature and a deposit, okay? And bullshit, in case you're unaware, is any combination of truth or falsehood that can be deployed to further the objectives of the bullshitter, okay? So he's going to say anything, worst case scenario, to get a signature out of you and a deposit. Just don't listen. Look up on the, the clock on the wall, metaphorically. It's always stuck at bullshit o'clock. So when he's talking, he's flapping like this, you know, words, okay? You just go, metaphorically, not listening, okay? It's easier to do than you might think. But just don't pay. Don't sign. Research first, negotiate second, on different occasions, okay? The last thing he wants to see is your big fat money going out the door and a suburb and a half over to a competitor, either at the same brand or a competing brand. He doesn't care. He just wants your money staying in-house, okay? So that's why this happens, all right? And what you've got to do is you've got to say to yourself, is the car right for me? And then I'm going to put myself in the position of Robin's daughter, hypothetically deciding that it's the wrong car and that the price is wrong, even though the price seems to be about a thousand bucks under the recommended drive away price for a two wheel drive Vitara Turbo. Okay, so the price isn't too bad, and they've essentially thrown in the window tinting as well. So it doesn't seem like the best deal on earth to me, but it doesn't seem like extortionate daylight robbery either. So if the car is right, it's probably worth proceeding. There's a couple of things you need to know about the Vitara Turbo, okay, which a lot of people don't find out until the first time they turn up at the petrol station. And one of that one is that you need to put premium fuel in it, meaning 95 RON, premium unleaded minimum. And that means you can't run it on E10 or 91. Okay, so you bought a reasonably affordable car that needs expensive petrol. I don't know if that matters or not. That's why it's a nice idea to do the research first and then decide if the car is right and from a position of being fully informed, then negotiate the price and agree, not do it all as a one-stop shop kind of deal, okay? So let's say that's a sticking point. You don't want to spend the next seven friggin' years tipping premium unleaded into that car. And incidentally, the reason it demands premium unleaded is just because the cheap pricks didn't bother to recalibrate the engine for our fuel. Okay, there's no reason that engine can't run on 91 or E10. It's just that they've done some bean counter type calculation and gone, nah, it's not worth doing it. Incidentally, Toyota does this with the CHR compact SUV as well. It needs uh, premium unleaded and the 1.2 turbo needs premium unleaded anyway. And you bought a cheap SUV that requires expensive fuel. So let's say Robin's daughter sees this as a sticking point. She wants to back out of it. And mum is obviously concerned about the 750 bucks to be paid if you back out clause in the contract. Now, I should mention up front that the laws vary from state to state in Australia, but in some states you get a cooling off period. 
and I'm not a lawyer, but I'd suggest that if you exercise that uh, cooling off period, if you're within the window of opportunity for cooling off, then you can back out of it without penalty, okay? If you're outside the window or you're in a state that doesn't offer a cooling off period, then still not a lawyer, not giving you legal advice. But let's just look at this commercially, shall we? Let's just say you send them an email, dear scumbag, I've decided not to proceed with this because I've just found out that I need premium unleaded and you didn't tell me, so it would have been nice to be fully informed about the car, blah, blah, blah. So I've elected not to proceed and they get back to you and they say, well, you owe us 750 bucks. At this point, call me a hard case. I had a lot of concrete this morning for breakfast, but call me a hard case, but I would just not correspond with them anymore and see what happens, okay? Because if you look at it from a pure commercial point of view, it's not worth suing you for 750 bucks. What they might do, of course, is put a debt collector onto you. I mean, it's unlikely, but they might have a crack. They might say, by phone, debt collector ring you up and say, you owe our client 750 bucks and we demand that you pay, otherwise we might commence legal proceedings, which is scary voodoo, but hey, it's extremely unlikely that they will proceed against you and you can just decline to engage in a conversation with a debt collector or anyone else on the telephone and you can just wait and see if a summons arrives and I'd suggest it won't because it's a bad look apart from anything else to sue a prospective customer. It's a bad PR move and also it's a loser financially because what do, they, what do they hope to win? They hope to win 750 bucks. It's going to cost them a couple of grand to do it. So they'll be 1250 bucks in the red, in, even if they win. It's far more common for this kind of thing to be used as a threat to coerce you into buying the car if you're having second thoughts. And I'd say exactly the same thing about these 5% termination clauses that are often written into the contract. Okay, so let's think about that in the context of buying a $50,000 car, you put down a thousand bucks deposit, you go home and you go, oh Jesus, what have I done? This is such a mistake, I don't want that car, it's the wrong car, I can find the same car for 5,000 bucks less, what have I done? Okay, <clears throat> so you're back out of it. You're gonna lose your thousand bucks. That's the price you paid for making a hasty call without doing the research first, okay? but. As for paying the balance, now 5% of 50 grand is two and a half grand. You've already paid a thousand. So the balance outstanding is like 1,500 bucks. Okay? They're not gonna come after you for that. It's just uneconomical to do so. So that's the perspective around these penalties. They're much more likely to be just coercive weapons to force you to buy rather than a means for the dealership to make money because it's a lose if they really push comes to shove and they take you to court. It's, it's just a financial lose for them, even if they win. On the issue of how you back out, okay, I suggest do it by email. Just say, in relation to contract number blah blah, signed on whatever date, I'm going to decline to proceed with the purchase. Okay, doesn't have to give a whole bunch of reasons. You don't have to make it war and peace. You don't have to tell them why, you just have to tell them what. And the what, is you're going to decline to proceed. You might think, want to go in there face to face, do it like a man, even if you're a chick, like whatever. Do it with integrity, okay? So many people are conflict averse. 
I don't get it, but many people are. And it's very difficult in this situation because once again, you go into a strange environment, you stand on the X, you've got someone who's a coercive bullshitter working on you and they don't want to understand your reasons for backing out. They want to turn you around. They want you to do a big fat 180, baby, and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, well, fuck it. I'll buy that car, <laughs> okay? Every time. So don't do that. Don't give them an opportunity to do that. Take a concrete sandwich, harden the up, and just send them the email with the what. I'm declining to proceed with the purchase. Sorry for any inconvenience. And then wait and see what happens, right? Now, finally, the business about using us. Now, I'm happy for, to help anyone buy a new car without that whole face-to-face -face coercive pressure. And a lot of people focus on the discount, but really one of the main things I see us doing is we take this coercive dynamic out of play where we can kind of go, well, here's the price. You know, we've done that. We've done the negotiation. Here's the price. Do you want to go ahead or not? It really is pretty simple. But I'd suggest that it's a really good idea to go to a dealership for a variety of reasons so that you can get your hands on the car and sit inside it and look at the features and touch it and feel it and make friends with it. You can go for a test drive to make sure that it's okay, although, frankly, I think... For most cars, test drives are kind of overrated. And they're overrated because most cars drive okay, you know. And most people have driven one or two cars for the past five to seven years or something. And that means they don't have a database in their head of what a whole bunch of different cars feel like. Particularly what a whole bunch of brand new cars feel like back to back. So what people on the test drive tend to do is they tend to compare the car that they're driving now with a new car that they're trying to line up for a purchase, right? And that's a fundamental mistake because your old shitty car is going to feel a lot worse than a shiny new car with no Ks on the clock. And therefore, it's going to feel better. It's going to feel strange but oddly better and have new car smell and really you're only going to get half an hour to suss it out anyway. So the test drive itself is kind of overrated. And what you need to think more about is what's it like inside the car and what features has it got and has it got anything that you hate that you can't get over over time because you're going to have to live with that as well. But just don't engage in the negotiation over the price. And just be really firm on, I'm just here to decide whether this is the right car for me. And I'll come back and negotiate a deal with you if it is. And then if you're unable to be turned on this point, then the car dealer's kind of... It's like you're all doing it nude, right? Well, the, And by that, I mean... There's a, there's a fundamental imbalance of power, and that's why these places are structured the way they are. Because as the purchaser, you're the one with the power, right? It's you. You've got the power here, and that's why these places are structured in such a way to be such a coercive, persuasive environment. Because ultimately, the car dealer's got no power. Because you can decide whether you want that car or a competitor. You can decide whether you want to go for that price or not. And it's much easier for you to walk away than it is for the car dealer to watch you walk away. So if you think about doing it nude in this way, you're walking in with all the power. So just forget about all the trappings, and we're all emperor's new clothes here doing it nude. He really doesn't have all of that much coercive, persuasive power because you could buy 
you're in there for an i30 or something, you could go and buy a Mazda 3. Who gives a shit? You go and buy a Kia Cerato or a Toyota Corolla. <clears throat> it doesn't matter, is what I'm saying. What you buy doesn't matter. They all do fundamentally the same job. It really matters to him if you buy the car, okay? So you've got to remember that in this situation, looking for a new car, you've got the power. These places are just structured with camouflage to make it feel, make it seem to you like they're in charge. They want you to do it their way. They've got a process. It's carefully scripted. Everyone's performance gets assessed, okay? It's that kind of thing. But ultimately, you've got the power to avoid getting yourself in this position. And all you've got to do is just play by the rules. Just negotiate last, okay? Research, think it through, then negotiate and agree. And if you find yourself in the position where you have signed a contract and paid a deposit, and oh, Jesus, it's a, it's a terrible mistake. What do I do? I'm, I'm up for the big penalty payment if I don't go ahead. I'd suggest that that's mainly smoke and mirrors too.